You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast as we work our way toward kickoff in Beaver Stadium. The Indiana Hoosiers come to town Saturday noon start, and we will be there, myself, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen, and you'll hear from them in just a moment about this matchup. We took a long look at it from a Hoosiers perspective. We learned a lot more about Indiana, which is a struggling program right now, 2-20 and 20 in Big Ten action since 2021. That includes a couple losses against Penn State. They were shut out last time they came to Beaver Stadium. Um, we broke that all down and, and where that program is right now at two and five with Jared Kelly, who covers the Hoosiers for 24 seven sports. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Indiana, what the opposition is bringing to the field against Beaver Stadium, I highly recommend you check out the episode that dropped on Tuesday uh, with Jared Kelly. Uh, but for now, let's talk about Penn State. We're off the practice field on Wednesday night. As usual, we're here with you on a Thursday recording our post our pregame podcast. Daniel and I will be back with postgame on Saturday. I think we all feel fairly confident, if not very confident, about how this one's going to end up on Saturday. But we want to know exactly what it looks like along the way and how this team responds to a knockdown moment last Saturday. And we'll begin with you, Mark. Uh, game seven, uh, game eight storylines are kind of all over the place. They're a lot different, a lot far out of the spotlight than they were last week against Ohio State in a marquee matchup. But what are you trying to detect this week as we've gotten to the press conference? We've had some player calls. We've been to the practice field. What are you picking up around this program coming off of uh, its first loss in a year? Yeah, I think you just have to go back to that media room, you know, after the Ohio State game and, and see how emotional, you know, everybody was, which is which is understandable. You know, we're, we're getting all the right signs this week. Uh, you know, guys seem to have kind of flushed that and are, and are looking forward despite all of our best efforts to, to, to kind of get the coaching staff and players to, to rehash it, which is kind of our job. And you know, I get it that they know what our job is and we know what their job is, but where are they going to be emotionally, you know, when they get out there for this game on Saturday? To me, that that's the biggest thing. J James Franklin said it on Tuesday that as difficult as that loss was, you don't want to let Ohio State beat you twice. You know, I guess I would contend that I don't think there's much of a chance that that's going to happen this week, given the opponent. You know, I would also say I, I kind of think from Penn State's perspective, it might have been better to come out of this thing facing a better defensive opponent, maybe like Maryland, who they're going to face next week, who's not great, but who's who's good enough. Uh, only in the sense that I don't know that playing another one of these defensive patsies is, is what this team needs right now. You know, people may say this is what you need to get better. I don't think that's the case. I think you've seen enough of these teams. Uh, so I guess my point, the way I look at this is, Let's see if Penn State comes out of this thing and absolutely dominates from start to finish. To me, that's the key. I think the defense has what it takes to get that done. I don't know why they would be lacking any confidence coming out of the Ohio State game. On offense, though, let's see what the level of confidence is that they bring. And if they could finally get to one of these opponents that's overmatched and not mess around, just drop the hammer early, you know, plow right through them, rush the ball against another terrible rush defense and, and and start to try to eliminate some of these questions. You're, you're not going to eliminate them all against this opponent, no matter what you do. 
but a dominating effort would be would be key. So what am I thinking this week as, as they go through it? They're saying all the right things, but let's see what happens when you get into the game on Saturday. Let's get over to Daniel Gallon And Daniel, you and I are putting together our practice report, which we do on a weekly basis on Wednesday evenings. We both kind of reached the same conclusion without even talking about it. I noticed you wrote it in your notes and I did as well. Um, just kind of picked up. Uh, it, it was there was less noise around the practice field. There, there were there was no wasted conversation. There was no wasted movements. It was very workmanlike. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know what, you never really know what you're going to encounter. And, and I'm sure they worked through a lot of those raw motions by the time they got to the field on Tuesday, that's a Sunday, Monday kind of deal. Uh, but, but you know, it's, it's, it, we're hearing the right things. Like Mark said, I think James Franklin feels like they have responded in the right way. What are you gathering? I mean, we've talked to a bunch of players. We've seen them up close working for that 15, 20 minute span on the field. And we had Dion Barnes an assistant coach. We'll talk about more from that conversation in a bit, but we had him about 45 minutes ago, an hour ago. So based on all that, are you positive or are you confident that Penn State's trending toward a rebound or maybe that we're looking at a, a bit of a sleepy first half brewing in Beaver Stadium? When, when you talk about rebounding, I mean, you, you couldn't pick a better opponent on the Big Ten schedule for Penn State to try to rebound against. Uh, when you talk about really soft landings coming out of a, a loss like that, I mean, Indiana's a pillow uh, right now for Penn State. Um, but I think when you talk about what we saw at practice and what we've kind of heard this week, the real theme seems to be to move on. I think that that's a, a big thing that the players were talking to us about. Uh, even James Franklin was talking about it a little bit Wednesday night in terms of not wanting to keep looking back at that Ohio State game. Um, and, you know, talking to Deion Barnes today, you know, he was talking about, you know, trying to teach lessons and the big thing that after you learn a lesson, the big thing you have to do is move on, that you learn the lesson, you move on. I talked to Tyler Warren for a while last night, and he said similar things where that, you know, they're, they learned from Ohio State, they watched the film, they got everything they needed to out of it, they're going to apply that, but they also need to move on. Um, so I think that that's probably something that has really been hammered home internally based on some of the conversations that we've had and in terms of setting a tone for this week. Um, you know, what does that actually look like on Saturday? Uh, I'm really curious to see. Um, you know, I think that if Penn State can get off to a fast start against Indiana, I think that might assuage some worries because we've seen them in this noon and 11 a.m. slot a couple times now this season, and it hasn't exactly been, you know, pedal down from the start. Um, but I think that kind of going off with what Mark was talking about, about maybe rather seeing a tougher defensive team coming out of this, I, I think that with how bad Indiana has been this year, we're going to learn some things about, about Penn state. And I think that we might be able to draw some conclusions because we saw Penn state against a bad Northwestern defense and a bad UMass defense. Um, and we didn't necessarily see what we thought we were going to in terms of, you know, big plays, real fireworks, the things that you would expect to be able to see. Um, so I think that if this Indiana game, looks like you know the UMass game, the Northwestern game, um, even the Delaware game in some of these aspects, then I think that you can maybe lock in a little bit. Okay, we we know we're eight games in now. We know what this Penn State team is. We know how they're playing and maybe we can kind of stop waiting for some of these things. But if Penn State comes out 
and looks against Indiana, like maybe we imagine they would against some of these other teams, then maybe, okay, there is room for growth. There is, there are steps forward. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, if it is three, nothing at the end of the first quarter, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised, but I think that what Penn state is trying to do this week in setting its tone is gearing up towards maybe a bit of a, a better start. We'll look at some of those particular dynamics involved in this matchup in, in just a bit here on the podcast. But going back to the uh, kind of the mindset here for Penn State, Hakeem Beeman, a year five guy, senior starter at defensive tackle, had a chance to check in with him after practice on Wednesday evening in Haluba Hall. And he was asked a little bit. He was he was willing to play ball to an extent on you know recovering from Ohio State and what's that meant for the team. But when it came up again about halfway through the conversation, he said Indiana nine consecutive times. And so I think he was really trying to say they're ready. He expects dominance from his defense. Um, and I know that Akeem Beeman just speaking about it felt like he was speaking for the team in some ways. He was asked if if there was an angry or were they kind of you know, feeding off some anger this week? He kind of smirked and said, you could say something like that, something like that. So. I'm curious. I think there'll be an edge on the field on one side of the football. Um, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what the offense shows up with and brings into Beaver Stadium from that first, first possession. But I wanted to get the hangover conversation out. Uh, I had it last year on a rundown. Let's let's just get it done and, and move on from that and talk hey, Tyler, about some of the pers- – Tyler, can yeah. I throw in one last thing? It's just occurring to me now. Sure. The statement that James Franklin said last night about uh, we're looking to take it out on somebody else, was that how he phrased it? Frustrations. Um, we said this, he said, but we need to take our frustrations out on the next opponent. And not necessarily something we normally hear from James Franklin. I've never heard that from no. him. Have you? I mean, I I've, you know, I mean, that was so – I think I, – I'm, I'm glad – I'm sorry to interrupt you, but as you were saying that, that was the one thing. I think that kind of puts it all in a nutshell. When your head coach is thinking like that, and that's where I also – but then I think if you say that, now all of a sudden – yeah. If you if the impetus is on for you to come out and and do what you need to do, and if it's three nothing after after the first quarter, as Daniel was mentioning, I mean that's uh, what did what did Seinfeld used to say? That's a pretty big matzo ball hang, hanging out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, let's get to a few personnel notes here. Again, it doesn't feel like the kind of matchup where a, a starter or two could spell the difference or swing momentum so much where you're going to result in a win or a loss, but. Chop Robinson, Amin Vanover exited early on the road at Ohio State last Saturday. Neither returned. We we addressed Chop Robinson during that press conference and on our Tuesday podcast where James Franklin did not say it was or he said it was not a long term issue based on everything that he understood about the situation. Uh, continues to say that they expect to see Chop back sooner rather than later. Not getting any kind of vibes there that we're going to see Chop on the field for this one. Maybe he gets back for his trip down to the alma mater, or not the alma mater, the old school, definitely not the alma mater, uh, to the old stomping grounds. And and Chop Robinson going to his home state next week. I know he would be fired up to get a chance to play there. But if he's not available, and then Amin Vanover, who has been labeled a game-time decision by James Franklin, that's not a kind of phrasing we've really heard from James in, in applying to injury situations. So we have some kind of understanding of where Amin Vanover is. He was not on the practice field during our look. Neither was Chop Robinson. So that means who's stepping up? We, we know Deny Dennis Sutton. There's no doubt about that. He's been highly involved. Starters kind of reps uh, every every game this uh, season. Uh, Zariah Fisher has been kind of that next man up. He was the, the fourth guy in the rotation until Amin Vanover came back from a two-game absence earlier in the season. But Jameel Lyons is the compelling one here, Daniel, because he's someone who flashed early on. Heard a lot about him during preseason camp. Some of our VIP reporting at lines247.com from that first week, I believe, 
was about how this freshman was turning heads in a very talented defensive end group. When this roster goes varsity and JV and essentially scout team and, and who's preparing for Saturdays, Jameel Lyons stays on the right side of that equation in late August, shows up for one snap, you know, the final snap of on defense against West Virginia when the game's out of hand, you're saying, okay, well, if this is an indication that he's got the green light, what, what is? And yet, They've been towing the line with him. He, he popped back in for Delaware. He had a sack in that game. And then we didn't see him again until a couple of weeks ago when UMass came to town. He got some extensive run. Uh, he's at three games right now, the next appearance. And it sounds like James Franklin is anticipating that will be this Saturday. Would put him at that four-game threshold. We've said for a while, felt like he was trending towards burning eligibility. Maybe you finally have to push him towards that because of losses above him at the depth chart. But uh, this could be a chance to see Jamil Lyons show what he's gotten from Deion Barnes to Hakeem Beeman to James Franklin this week. Everyone feels like he's been ready to play Big Ten football. The question has uh, become, is he ready to go from a situational kind of player to a full all-in three-down defensive end? Because if you're down to just four varsity guys at that position, and that's what we saw in the practice field on Wednesday, then that might be what he has to be for a long extended portion of time against Indiana. We've gotten really good feedback on Jameel Lyons pretty much this whole season that every time we get the chance to ask someone who knows uh, and works with him closely, it's only good things. I mean, I think Chuck Losey was, you know, spoke very glowingly about him uh, over, over the bye week when, when he was available to us. So uh, I think it will be interesting to see if they finally, you know, break glass in case of emergency uh, when it comes to Jameel Lyons and, and his eligibility. But by all accounts, it sounds like they think that he's ready. Uh, talking to Dion Barnes this morning, uh, Barnes talked about what he was excited about and what he liked about Jameel Lyons. And he said it was the ability to pick everything up quickly, but still be able to go full speed to still be able to be aggressive um, and, and be able to, I guess, meld that mental and, and physical side of things, which when you're learning and stepping up a level, I, I think can be difficult for some players. So uh, I think that you look at, I mean, physically, we see him on the field all the time. When he's in that line of defensive ends, he might be a little bit on the skinnier side, but he looks like he belongs. Um, and you know, when we've seen him out on the field, uh, in these quick glimpses, he, he's looked like he's belonged. So it, it will be interesting to see what I think what Amin Vanover's situation is um, and what Chop Robinson's situation is and how that forces. Like, I think if both of them miss, I think that might force Penn State's hand a little bit in getting Jameel Lyons in there. Um, but he's someone that I'd be excited to see get a lot of run against a, a first team Big Ten defensive line. You know, what is he capable of? Is all these things we're hearing about what he's doing in practice and in the weight room and in the classroom, what's that look like on a on a Saturday? So I think he's definitely one guy to watch. And I think that this is kind of why this is what kind of James Franklin talks about with you know preserving guys' eligibility, but having them ready in case they need them. And this is a, a prime example of that. Yeah, four players have burned redshirt so far, all of them on the defensive side of the football. Only Jamil Lyons is at that three-game mark, so everybody else in that class, there's a lot of wiggle room to work with still here in, in late October. I'll defer to Akeem Beeman again for the final word on Jamil Lyons. He said, quote, he can pass rush his ass off. Um, when it comes to that game-time decision on Vanover, I think one thing we can maybe uh, just, just factor into this because they are a four-touchdown favorite and because of the way we think this one will play out, even if you don't see Amin Vanover's play 
in, in this matchup doesn't mean that he wasn't available and, and deemed ready to play. It could be a situation where the staff dictates there's not enough value in him being out there. Uh, but that's something that, that we'll be keeping eyes on during pregame warmups in Beaver Stadium again. A couple guys there. Someone else we got a little clarity on who's been dealing with the bumps and bruises stuff of late is J.B. Nelson. Ask James Franklin after practice on Wednesday whether the, the the plan to go with five offensive linemen, and particularly just one all the way at all at left guard, said more about Venga Ioane's status coming out of his first six games or more about J.B. Nelson trying to come back from an injury. And James Franklin made it pretty clear that J.B. Nelson was in an emergency use status on the road at Ohio State. We didn't see any kind of rotation anywhere in the offensive line. First time in a long time. A little more clarity there is that J.B. Nelson was cleared to play. They would not have used him unless, uh, you know, you have to imagine Venga Ioane goes down with some kind of injury and then they're forced into action. Um, this time around, though, he, qual he qualified him as fully available. So, Mark, I'm fully anticipating that J.B. Nelson gets back into the swing of things. He hasn't played a lot of football in the last month. He got to go back to the early stages of a Northwestern game that took place on September 30th. Get J.B. Nelson those reps if he's ready for him and get him ready for the stretch run. Yeah, I think they deked us a little bit last week, didn't they? When we were at practice, and, and uh, J JV was, and I, I love that. I mean, that's gamesmanship, and you know, that's uh, that, that, that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, I think this would be going back to what I mentioned earlier. I think this would be the perfect opportunity to work JB Nelson back in. You have another one of these defenses that's just terrible against the run, and while I for for the overall team. I think it would be better to face a a, 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 a more uh, efficient defense or a more effective defense. I think for J.B. Nelson to work his way back in, it'll be easier to do it this week than it would have last week against Ohio State. And given the way that Venga has been playing, you know, even in that game, I know the running game didn't do well, but I think overall, you know, for a redshirt freshman, what that kid's been doing, I think he's been doing a really nice job. So he obviously was the better option last week. But Mark, for JB, Mark, I'm with you, but I think you know, I think if Venga, you know, you look at the course of that game and 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 kind of the interior and how it held up, it was a little surprising that they just wanted to see what another look was because you know, Venga wasn't consistently beating his man, wasn't consistently yeah. locating that second level defender. So I, I think to your point, he has been. Good, but he. I just don't know that that five man group held up the way you would have hoped against Ohio State. Absolutely uh, not. They were beaten down, but they didn't get the, the the depth pieces. Yeah, I would say this though. I, I and this could this could be when we talk about some other things. I thought they gave up on the run far too early in that right. game, and and I think that came back to bite them. But my point about Venga is no, not that he was dominating, but he he can go out there and represent. And if they felt that he was the better option than JB Nelson at that point. I don't know that that's something that I could argue with because I don't see them in practice all the time. So bring, being able to bring JB back against this opponent, whether he starts or whether he doesn't, I mean, the sense, again, is that that he's going to start. Uh, I think that's going to be a good thing. And again, but even, even with that, it is imperative for this running game to dominate in this game. It's, it's you know, enough. All right? <laughs> you're, you're going in and playing these opponents. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear any of the excuses. Uh, you know, get JB Nelson in there, get Veng in there. I don't care who's in there. You know, you, you better be dominating. And James was pretty detailed on, on last week's situation. He said it wasn't just like a, a you know Saturday decision. He said it was about the accrued practice reps, practice work that these guys were able to get, you know, leading up to the Ohio State matchup. That led Venga Ioane, his second start of the season, the first time he was the, the guy at left guard all the way. Um, and, and, Mark, you sent us a really fascinating uh, text a couple of days ago, actually, while Daniel and I were recording this podcast, and it segues this, us right in from what you just said. 
This is the third time in 2023 that Penn State will have faced the Big Ten Conference's worst-ranked rush defense in that moment. That's where Northwestern was when Penn State went out to Evanston in late September. That's where Illinois was when Penn State went out uh, and, and played the Fighting Illini in mid-September. And that's where you'll find Indiana in the basement of run defense. And, I mean, Mark makes a good point. Enough. If it doesn't happen here, it's hard to imagine that it does happen. Right, Daniel? I'm going to crib from James Franklin here when talking about that offensive line last year that the you know, running game needs to prove it, that I feel like we're, we're at the point when yep. we're kind of done talking about it. My bold prediction this week does not concern explosive plays from the offense because. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, I mean, when we've moved on then. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, we, we need to see it to, to really know that it can happen. <clears throat> I mean, I think that we're we're far enough into the to the season that you know what you did last year kind of gets further and further in, into the rearview mirror uh, on things that it it in October 2023 it's harder to be like well you know, we saw what Nick Singleton was able to do against Auburn in September 2022 and even against Maryland in November 2022 that you know, what the body of work that we have this year through seven games doesn't you know, we it's not in there. So, and I think we're deep enough into the season that it's kind of like, all right, like what, where are we going? Kind of, you know, kind of tangentially, you know, James Franklin last night talked about the the passing game being behind uh, Tyler Warren was asked about it. And he said that it's, you know, getting on the same page, getting reps in those sorts of things. And you know, my follow-up to, to Warren was kind of like, well, it's game eight now. You know, you guys are seven games into the year. You've been working this since August 1st or, or whenever it was like, why isn't this happening? What, what's kind of, you know, the, what's kind of left there. Um, and, you know, Tyler Warren is, I respect him a lot to fielding that question and kind of know that he's, he's not someone who's going to rock the boat um, or anything. And he just said that you know, guys need more reps and, you know, it's, it's all about what they can do to control that, to work it. Um, so nothing, nothing groundbreaking there, but I think that overall we're deep enough into the season now that, when it comes to these different things that, you know, until we actually see it, uh, we can't expect to see it, that, you know, your body of work and, and who you are right now, um, you know, is, is what Penn state is, you know, they, they might be the, one of the better rushing teams in the big 10 and even the country, but we kind of know how they do that now. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I think that, you know, maybe Indiana is the one that that gets them right. Maybe this is finally the the get right game that we've been you know expecting to see. <laughs> you know, at, on a couple occasions this year, um, when it comes to these explosive plays, you know, this running game that we thought we would see. But I I'm at the point where I, I got to see it before I can believe it. And you know, you when we were talking about them having going to Ohio State with the number one ranked rush attack in in um, in the Big Ten at that point, you're you're also kind of having to say, I don't think we brought it up, but Bo Prabula has accounted for more than 200 rushing yards in the fourth quarters of these games. Um, and I know Nick Singleton and Catron Allen were not involved for the fourth quarters of these games. And unfortunately for Penn State, that pretty much included the Ohio State matchup. But Bo Prabula has been the guy getting the rushing yards in, in, in that final quarter and, and kind of padding that stat, if you want to say it, and, and that kind of phrasing, uh, while not really flashing the arm to this point much at quarterback work. Um, Katron Allen, he had uh, 167 carries last year. He averaged 5.2 yards uh, on those. This year he has 87 carries so far. He's averaging 4.6 yards. Uh, Nick Singleton last season, 156 carries. He averaged almost seven yards 
uh, per attempt this season, 98 carries. He's at 4.2 yards average. So, Mark, we'll we'll table this conversation. We'll certainly pick it back up on the postgame podcast and whatever happens against Indiana. But this offensive identity is in a bit of a crisis mode right now, at least at a crossroads coming out of that trip to Columbus. And Drew Aller is the guy at the center of the conversation here, but they've got to figure out the plan at wide receiver. You want to say enough? They've had the time. They've had all these guys except Carmelo Taylor and Dante Cephas on campus with them since January. They've had 15 spring practices. They had a preseason camp. They had a preseason camp. They had the first half of the season. They had a bye week. They had a trip to Ohio State to reevaluate where they're at. And this is where I'm saying, who are you rolling out? You've got 60 minutes of football here. You're probably going to be leading by a bunch for most of it. Are you going to go say, Dante Cephas, show us what you can do with 40 snaps? Are you going to say that to Amari Evans? What's the deal here? Because if you exit this game and you still don't have solutions, again, I'm having a hard time, Mark, buying that they're going to suddenly discover them in November. Yeah, I mean, Franklin seems to think that Harrison Wallace is some sort of proven talent, right? I mean, he keeps talking that way, and we we, we saw it through two games, yeah, and we saw it a little bit last year, but we have not seen it this year. Now, granted, he was banged up, but I just don't know that that he is is that guy. So if I'm if I'm focusing on one person, it's going to be him, because we've we kept we kept saying and, and by we I mean me uh, that when he gets back, I think he's going to be able to be that capable number two guy. And in the meantime, I think when you looked when they played an elite opponent, I don't even think they had a capable number one guy. I mean, I think they have a guy in, in Keandre Lambert Smith who has been most effective as a number two behind Parker Washington. And we really thought that he was going to take that next step. And he has to an extent, but then you get into the biggest game of the year and everybody disappears. So to me, they see something in, in, in Trey Wallace. They see something there that we're not seeing in games. And maybe this is an opportunity to finally get things to click for him. But it's got to be somebody because you come out of that Ohio State game and after the, the final quarter – I mean, it's looking to me as if their most effective receivers were Dante Cephas and Caden Saunders. Now, granted, those guys were playing against the defense that was backpedaling and keeping everybody in front of them, but at least they did something. And then I thought it was curious, when you asked the question about the receivers on Tuesday, and Franklin kind of stopped you and said that Cephas was a starter, and I, I, I'm still not quite following what 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 he was saying there? I mean, yeah, he 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 turned to to Greg Kincaid, the SID that we know so well, and 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 kind of was looking for some confirmation on that. And I was I was kind of baffled by that too. I and I brought it to James. Well, prior to the final possession of that matchup, he had played and participated in maybe three or four total snaps. And um, maybe he was trying to say they consider him a starter, like they consider Drew Shelton, Venga Ioane. They but, say the same thing about Liam Clifford, even though. But, uh, you know, you can't start 16 guys. And and, and, it's, and when you talk about the wide receiver spot, Mark, uh, you know, you can't label – I mean, Dante Cephas hasn't been in a starter's territory since Harrison Wallace came back. And that's where I'm wondering, does that change? Is there a calculated effort uh, by this coaching staff, and particularly Marcus Hagans now, to get Dante Cephas more early work? Or is it going to be until this one really gets out of hand, it's it's Keandre Lambert-Smith, it's Harrison Wallace, and and unless they tap out, uh, you know, you can you can watch the football game. But James Franklin is one of the smartest people I know, and he remembers things. I mean, it's, it's like unbelievable. And I think the fact when that came out, I'm like, what? What? what are, it seems like they don't even know what's going on at receivers. And, and I'm not yeah. suggesting that's the case, but there seems to be an element of confusion there 
that they don't even know who their top receivers are. You know, game. I mean, Malik McLean starts in your Big Ten opener, and he's got like 24 snaps in the last three weeks. Omari Evans, you know, resurfaces <laughs> and, and plays 40 snaps back-to-back weeks, and then he gets tucked away and, and doesn't play against Ohio State. It is week by week by week, and it hasn't worked. If it was James working, said it, you know, week, that'd be great. The first week of the season, they went 300-plus yards receiving in that room alone. And it's been the Keandre Lambert Smith show with a supporting cast of rotating, uh, you know, to to pretty much unproductive degrees. Right. So go back to what I said. They see something in Trey Wallace, right? And they're there. I try. I, I, people are going to think I'm crazy, but but these are good coaches. They wouldn't just be talking up Trey Wallace for the, for the, the heck of it. You know what I mean? There, there's something that they saw in the spring, in, in, uh, in, in the preseason and all these things, I, I think there's something there with him that they have to, they have to get that out. And that, and that's, that's what I'm saying. I know people are saying, look at that. You didn't watch the Ohio state game and you're praising these coaches. It's like, yeah, I watched the Ohio state game, but I also know these guys are generally good at what they do. And if they're saying that Trey Wallace is his, is, is could be that kind of guy, I believe him. But now you got to pull it out of him in a game. You got you got to get him back to where he's able to do that in a game, and maybe this sort of opponent allows them to start going in that direction. Yeah, I, I, just two things to finish up here, and on Trey Wallace, because I want to make you know we're not piling on the guy, but he has been presented by this coaching staff as the answer at receiver. I mean, that's just what it has been going back to the spring. Because uh, Keandre Lambert Smith, the way he finished last year, you felt like you knew what you were getting there, and after Parker Washington's injury, he really answered the bell last year. And I'll start with that. Keandre Lambert-Smith last year, the topic of discussion come Halloween was how quickly is he going to get to the transfer portal? Because he was doing nothing. He was doing nothing in the statute, was not productive. And then look what happened. I mean, he got his opportunity in part because Parker Washington goes down with an injury. But the final couple of Big Ten games, the Rose Bowl, it was a launch pad for him. So that is absolutely possible here for Harrison Wallace. In fact, he doesn't even need to wait for someone to get injured. He is the guy right now. And so he has a five-game run here where we know Drew Aller has this trust in him. We've seen that on display in games where come, you know, come Thanksgiving, we might be talking about Harrison Wallace being a huge component of this offense. And, and that could change. But I'll also go back to this for as much as we keep hearing about, well, of course, Harrison Wallace is the guy. And, and, and yeah, we feel like we can lean on that. And, and, you know, that just the affirmations that we've heard from James Franklin and as, as recently as Wednesday, that it's Harrison Wallace, it's Harrison Wallace that he's got one game in his career. He's played in more than 20 college games. He's got one game in his career where he had more than three catches. It was four receptions for 35 yards last year, last September against the Ohio Bobcats. And he has not reached 80 yards receiving in a game. And he's only reached the end zone one time in his career. So when you put that all together from what eyeballs have seen, knowing full well that all preseason long and all spring ball was, wow, you got to hear what Harrison Wallace is doing on the practice field. He can like He's making plays. He's going to be a beast. That's all we can go off of. That's all that we can we can offer up. I know the coaches have a, 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 a wide, deep arsenal of, of information and data on each of these receivers. But I think that's puzzling for us, Daniel, is when you look at the production line of it for Harrison Wallace, it doesn't match up with the way that he has been presented by this coaching staff. And I think that probably says a lot, uh, right or wrong, about where they are with the remainder, as James likes to call them, the, the collection or the cluster of receivers that hey, they have invested so many scholarships in. I, I think that's a really good way to present it, Tyler, in terms of how Harrison Wallace is being presented by the coaching staff and I guess how he's seen internally versus what we're seeing on the field on Saturdays, because that's ultimately what determines who you are as a player, I think. 
um, you know, is what you do on Saturday, what you do when the lights are on, or that's at least a, a significant part of it. Um, so I, I think that Penn State is at the point where you know, they really do need someone to step up. And it sounds like Dante Cephas might get that opportunity. Uh, we'll see what that looks like in terms of wide receiver uh, alignment to get, um, you know, what their top three might look like if he's in it. Um, but it is kind of just like, all right, well, if not now, then when? You have a team coming in that, you know, is is not good. Penn State was able to, even in kind of bad weather conditions last year, they were able to pass the ball a little bit um, on Indiana. That day would mostly belong to Katron Allen and, and Nick Singleton. Um, but th- this should be a, a get-right game. And I think that when you look at there's a lot of positions on offense that need to get right. Uh, but I think this wide receiver group is one that, should really be able to take advantage of Indiana. And, you know, but, and I think the one thing with Harrison Wallace too, that, that kind of keeps coming back is that, you know, we, he, we've heard so much about his athletic traits and we saw them in the basketball highlight tapes when he was in high school down in Alabama. We saw it in that one blue white game where he had the jump ball uh, touchdown, I believe. And you know, the way that he's been used and the way that he's performed just outside of that one 48-yard catch at Michigan last year, it's been very like, almost static kind of. You know, Possession and, guy. Yeah. I mean, I mean he, he, caught, he caught a few, but he caught uh, two passes for 19 yards at, at Ohio State on the season right now, 15 catches, 161 yards. I said that after the first two games when he had 13 catches for like 125 <laughs> yards. I said, don't judge Harrison Wallace. This is a big play waiting to happen. Big plays have not been happening. and. I guess maybe nothing would bring more of a sigh of relief collectively into Beaver Stadium than Drew Aller finding Harrison Wallace for a long touchdown. Everyone can mm-hmm. exhale. I don't know, maybe Nick Singleton running 80 would, would have the same effect, but it just feels like if these two can hook up, take this passing attack to the next level together, it's there for the taking. Exactly, and I think that you look at what Penn State needs on offense, and they need some guys that can that can make plays, and Harrison Wallace seems to check all the boxes. So it's kind of you know, what what is holding this up? What what needs to happen for Harrison Wallace to kind of make that graduation from possession receiver, you know, who's been reliable and we've seen that Drew Aller has trust in him. And I think that's something that we've heard too is that Drew Aller really, really trusts Harrison Wallace. Um, but it, that needs to translate into more, uh, especially with the way that that this team is playing and the way that you know, if Penn State can just get maybe even two or three more explosive plays last week against Ohio State, that game looks a lot, a lot different. So uh, I think Harrison Wallace is someone that as the season goes on, I think that he'll kind of maybe creep more and more into the spotlight in terms of, you know, when examining different things and, and players who have stepped up, who haven't, um, you know, where they are in development. I think that he's someone who could end up with a lot of attention uh, coming down the stretch. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Uh, let's talk about some other players to watch. I mean, we covered so much ground on offense. So I think we all understand wh- where the defense is coming out of this one. But uh, where do you guys kind of focus in here individually when we look at this matchup? We're going to talk recruiting in just a bit with Tyler Calvaruso because, as usual, a home game represents a recruiting opportunity. But in our final few minutes here, we'll begin with you, Daniel. Penn State player that that you think could be a focal point going into this matchup one way or another. I'm going to go with Adisa Isaac here. Uh, we just got off uh, the call with Dion Barnes, and Dion Barnes is really complimentary of the job that Adisa Isaac did 
or has done this year in terms of being a good pass rusher, but also being good against the run and really, really taking a leadership role and stepping up in that area uh, of the defense. And you talk about coming off of a pretty gutting loss, and then you look in that position room and you you could potentially be down two of your top five guys there. I think you look at who's at the number one spot, you know, and I think you can make the case that Adisa Isaac and Job Robinson are one A and one B, but for this for this exercise and, and this framing, um, you know, you look at Adisa Isaac as the team captain, the veteran, the guy who's been here for a while and for the past calendar year has been playing really, really good football um, and is, you know, maybe playing himself into being a, a day two draft pick uh, in April. I think that this is a really good opportunity for him to step up to make an impact and, and set the tone for a defense that is going that could be a little bit shorthanded up front. So I, I think, you know, in terms of looking, trying to look at the defense after that big offensive conversation, I, I think Adisa Isaac is someone who could play a very important role on Saturday. He's got five tackles for loss, I think, in the last two weeks. Uh, he's been on a roll looking really good. Uh, Mark, where do you land on this pick? I'm going to go with a uh, man we talked about earlier, J.B. Nelson. Uh, I think I agree with you, Tyler. I think the best iteration of this offensive line involves J.B. Nelson, but I also think there's a domino effect that if he's starting, you're able to have Venga Yuane playing backup at both guard spots, and, and then maybe you are able to do a little bit more uh, rotating and, and mixing and, match, and matching. Again, you know, to me – this game, I don't really care what they do with the passing game. Yeah, it would be great to get Harrison Wallace going. But I think for Penn State to be what it wants to be, you can't be playing uh, Ohio State and have minus 21 rushing yards in the second half. Just can't happen. And I think this game with a healthy J.B. Nelson against a, a, a defense that has really struggled against the run, I think J.B., as tough as it may be as a, for a fan to keep your eyes zeroed in on that offensive line watch jb let's see what he's able to do and let's see if he's able to help open up some some some, some bigger rushing uh lanes for these running backs like daniel i was initially going to go with a defensive lineman for this pick i think zane durant is maybe another game or two uh in a good big time game away uh from really establishing himself as a player to watch when it comes to conference awards and being an all big 10 kind of competitor this year he has been really gaining a lot of steam they love what he's doing but i'll pause on that and i'll just I, Go with Drew Aller um, and, and for reasons that are beyond the box score, because uh, to, to Mark's point, I don't think, uh, you know, another four touchdown performance, 70 percent completion rate uh, at home in Beaver Stadium is going to say, well, he's ready to take on Michigan now. But you just want to see his feet back underneath him. You know, last time we saw him, uh, he was kind of gut checked in a way that, that I don't know if he had ever been checked. Uh, you know, I know he talked about the, the final loss on, on his high school field. And, you know, that's painful in a certain way when you're separating from your longtime friends and teammates. But when you're exposed into an, ex, you know, you, know, you put in there an exposure situation against Ohio State and a national platform and, and the results were what the results are. And all of a sudden, all these Penn State fans that have had your back and been pushing you, and God forbid he checked social media, it wasn't the same dynamic. So there could be a lot of room for distraction, for self-doubt here for Drew Aller. And this is one of those key tests. We've been saying it for a long time. They're not going to go perfect with, with, Drew, with Drew Aller as their quarterback. You know, there's no perfect quarterback who's, who's going to run through college and not have any adversity. And we found it here in October in Columbus. And I just want to see how he dials it up. Does he look like he's back in command, in control of this offense? Does it feel like this identity crisis of sorts is moving uh, out of that and into the right direction for Penn State, going on the road to Maryland, then back home 
against Michigan because I think from a mechanical standpoint, things got awry uh, for him on the road in Columbus in a way that we haven't seen. Uh, and I just think generally speaking about the guy who's holding the keys to this offense, uh, you want him to find himself and, and feel like he is the Drew Aller that we all think he can be and that he uh, has, has really had the confidence in himself to this point. So I think it's so important psychologically, especially for a first-year starter, guys, because if you can string together a few bad moments in games, then it can start to become part of your DNA, part of your identity as a quarterback. And uh, I want to see how he bounces back here, how quickly he forgot about that 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 process in Ohio State. And um, against Indiana, we've said it before, it's a perfect time to bounce back, a great opponent to do it against. So uh, we'll see what number 15 has in store. He's been phenomenal for the most part in Beaver Stadium. Uh, he, he has struggled for the most part outside of Beaver Stadium, uh, but we'll see him back on home grass on Saturday afternoon. Um, final picks and predictions, including our bold variety here. And we begin with you, Mark. Yeah, I am, uh, again, sticking with the the running game theme as much as I want to just take the, the way that Daniel's looking at things and saying, I'll believe it when I actually see it. Uh, I look at that Ohio State game and the way Penn State was able to run the ball early and then the way it completely, not completely abandoned it, but, you know, 12 carries in the second half, come on. And, uh, you know, there part of the the negative yardage was due to sacks but i have to imagine that those running backs in that offensive line there, there's a measure of pride there and to come up is is uh you know first of all not getting the opportunities not having your number called that's got to be tough and then struggling the way they did in the second half that's got to be tough so i i think there's going to be uh some anger and I think they're going to be looking to take it out on somebody, as Franklin said. And I'm looking for Nick Singleton and Catron Allen both to rush for right around 100 yards. I think Penn State's going to win this one relatively easily, 44 to 10. From my perspective, it's imperative for Penn State to come out, you know, not not have that be 34 points scored in the fourth quarter, but come out and set the tone early, use that rushing game to get it going you are going to if if you're going to beat the better opponents on this schedule all all that stuff about leading the conference and rushing heading into ohio state that was smoke and mirrors because they were playing mostly defensive uh run opponents that that were terrible none of that mattered because when when the rubber hit the road they were unable to do it and i think if they want to get back to where they need to be or, where, or get to where they want to be it's going to really rely heavily on the running game and i think they better really really zero in and focus on that and get both of these guys going in this game and i think they will you mentioned some of that frustration i think we detected it a bit on a tuesday morning call with caden wallace uh he was asked about uh penn state after a few really positive runs for nick singleton 42 yards on three carries uh you know uh, moving the ball in that possession uh when they shifted away and kind of went away from the ground game was it frustrated and caden wallace took a long pause uh and he said that's tough that's a tough question and then he proceeded to leave it at that. Um, and, and Which Katie he Wallace, answered the question, right? He answered, he answered the question, yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah, I think I think you're on to something there, Mark. There's no doubt. Uh, Daniel, what do you got for us for your prediction and, and your bold pick? I think there's good precedent for Mark's pick, too, when you look at last year's matchup when Singleton and Allen combined for 158 yards and, and four touchdowns, uh, three by Allen out there in Bloomington. Uh, but like I said earlier, I, I stayed away. I stayed away from the offense. Um, and, and I looked at the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think that, you know, this whole defense, I think everyone has really come to play, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty much every, uh, you know, every week this season. I think that, you know, last year for some of those defensive or last week 
for some of those defensive backs was a little tough with Marvin Harrison Jr., but I think that that's a it's Marvin Harrison Jr. at this point. I think he deserves that status. But I think the one guy who's really come to play every single week is Daquan Hardy. I think that he has he was in the middle of things from the jump uh, against Ohio State. Uh, we saw what he did coming back from that absence at Illinois, and it seems like he's just been able to put himself in the middle of things. I think that'll continue uh, this weekend. I've got a Daquan Hardy pick six down as my bold prediction, and he'll continue this just pretty impressive run of play that he's been on. Um, and then for final score, I have Penn State 48, Indiana 10. Uh, you know, 32 points is a pretty big line for this game. But I thought that the UMass line was was pretty big for a for a game that was going to be played in a monsoon, and that didn't matter. I, I think that Penn State is just the better team in all facets. Uh, Indiana is just not good. You know, the direction of that program I think is really in question, and so I think this is really ripe for for Penn State to have a get right game on Saturday. And it is right for that hangover. I've got to lead with that. I'm fully prepared to see Penn State up three nothing, you know, in you know, into the second quarter, or it being a 17 to seven game or a 13 seven game as we get close to halftime. Uh, but I don't think it matters. I I, I think that it, right, whether Penn State finds its way in the second quarter, first quarter, third quarter, it, it's going to put the game out of reach by the time we get and settled in for the fourth quarter in Beaver Stadium. Uh, I think defensively, I'm just sensing an edge here, just sensing that they are ready to take it out on somebody. I know this whole team feels that way, but I think specifically Manny Diaz's bunch is going to really hand it to Indiana. And unfortunately for Indiana, they already come in with a very, very questionable offensive group. They fired their offensive coordinator earlier this season. They have an unproven quarterback. Uh, and, and quite frankly, they I think they're going to get their lunch handed to them over and over on Saturday. And my bold prediction goes into my, my score pick. I'm predicting a shutout. I've never done that. I'm going 38 nothing. Nittany Lions beating Indiana. Um, so there you go. My prediction and my bold prediction lumped into one uh, serving for you there. Uh, I think they'll limit Indiana under 200 uh, yards. That'll be the fourth straight home game that happens to an opponent. They'll get at least five sacks, at least 10 tackles for loss, and they'll keep them off the scoreboard. And when Indiana uh, goes up three, nothing, six minutes into this game, you guys will have a nice laugh at me in the press box. But uh, until then, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Mark, Daniel, appreciate all the coverage. Uh, Daniel just has a bunch on the Dion Barnes conversation that we just came off of at lines247.com, breaking down what the defensive line coach had to say about his unit. We've got a lot of player perspective. Our predictions are also up on the site. Some of our friends get, joined us in those as well. We'll have our depth chart, a projected depth chart up today, pregame those. Just, just a bunch happening right now and recruiting as well as we'll discuss with Tyler. But Mark, Daniel, talk to you real soon, and I'll see you on Saturday. Thanks, Tyler. Sounds good. Tell Calvaruso to stick to recruiting and not fashion advice because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he'll know he'll know what I'm talking about. Let's do it. Tyler Calvaruso, what was he talking about? This is ridiculous, man. The one time I try to get Mark on something, he gets me with something better. I, I can never get one up on him. It's unreal. No, you see Daniel and Mark had uh, the uh, matching sweatshirts on today. Yeah, and that's the second show in a row, I believe. Uh, you know, the, the mm. best it's officially like best friend BFF oh, category. Okay, guys. Yeah, it's 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 really cute. Um, so Tyler, <laughs> let's talk about recruiting. Um, you know, we had a lot of fun breaking down, and not so much fun because this is you know a, a dicey work week for Penn State. But we we just gave the lowdown for the last forty five minutes on what we think is going to happen on the field in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. How about in the stands? And in the recruiting spectrum, because home game represents an opportunity. It's not a whiteout opportunity. It's not a Michigan comes to town opportunity. But how would you gauge what they've done from a guest list perspective? 
You know, this matchup doesn't exactly scream intrigue for a couple of reasons. I mean, Indiana being what it is, you got the noon kickoff factor. That always tends to work against whoever's kicking off at noon. And also regionally, you have Ohio State and Rutgers doing battle this weekend. That's going to be a pretty big draw for regional recruits. But with that being said, Penn State has been able to formulate a pretty solid visitors list. Mostly out-of-region names have popped up so far when it comes to, you know, some of the bigger names making it to campus. But it's a pretty solid list. It it swells in comparison to what the whiteout was. It's going to swell in comparison to what Michigan winds up being. But it's definitely not a lost weekend on the recruiting front for James Franklin and his staff. They're going to have some guys on campus who are noteworthy and, you know, hold some pretty prominent places on the board in their respective classes. So we're definitely going to have a lot to go through once this game wraps up. Uh, we'll we'll get to a few names right off the bat here, and, and and you know when you talk about a quarterback who has an offer and has some interest nationwide, and he shows up to campus, that's always a compelling perspective. He's a younger guy, but what do we know so far about Dia Bell? You know, if I'm remembering correctly, me and you got eyes on Dia Bell at the beginning of that final prospect camp at the end of July, and he just kind of popped in the sense that he just really looked the part of the 2026 quarterback. Then we got to see him throw the ball a little bit. And I, again, I think me and you were in agreement that, that was probably one of the better quarterback groups that camped at Penn State during the summer. And there might not have been a better quarterback in attendance that day than Dia Bell. I mean, that kid can sling it. There's no doubt about that. When it comes to Penn State's involvement in his recruitment early on, he's liking the staff. He's developed some pretty good relationships in Happy Valley, so that's a plus. Again, he is still really kind of sorting through the initial stages of his process. And this was a visit that he wanted to make. He had a trip to State College lined up for the whiteout. Didn't happen. There were some weather issues down in Florida. Flight got canceled. Just didn't really. Stars did not align for Penn State that day getting Bell on campus. But he's going to be back this weekend. And he's looking for – this is going to be a second straight weekend getting an eye on Penn State because he was at Ohio State visiting with the Buckeyes last week. And so this time it's going to be a little bit different of an experience for him, given the fact that he's going to be in Beaver Stadium and just taking in the game day atmosphere at Penn State. That is something that he pinpointed to me that he really wanted to check out, wanted to get to Beaver Stadium, see what a really just an overall game day experience is like. So big visit coming up for Bell because this is one that he's had marked on his calendar. You know, like I said, last month he wanted to do it. It's coming along now a month later, and the atmosphere is going to be different, but it's still one that he's interested in seeing for himself. Down at American Heritage High School, which is a, a power five producer year in, year out. So when you're playing quarterback down there, you're going to be a, a known commodity. And thus far, the offers have come. Miami offered, Florida offered, of course, Penn State extending one long distance. And this is a guy who also a talent on the basketball court as a freshman at American Heritage, 20 points per game. His father, Raja Bell, spent about a dozen years in the NBA. He was one of the top defensive players uh, for, for a span there. Uh, 76ers fans may remember he was on that uh, that that team that lost to the Lakers in the NBA championship. Well, now his son is a multi-sports talent and uh, Penn State taking a look. He'll be taking a closer look at Penn State on Saturday. Where else are we going down this list? I know that we don't have uh, five, six, seven names to work through, but where do you want to go next? We don't, but we might as well stick in the Sunshine State with top 24-7 wide receiver Nation Montgomery out of the 2025 class. He is, I mentioned, you know, some guys being on campus this weekend who are in prominent places on Penn State's board at their respective positions, and Montgomery is one of those guys. And there's been a lot of talk about Penn State's wide receiver room recently, and we talk about the level of talent and bringing in guys who could be potential difference makers and really compete at a high level in the Big Ten. I think Montgomery is one of those guys. You know, we like I said, we got him in the top 
he's a top 100 prospect on the composite. I believe he could do a lot of different good, a lot of good things at wideout. Good hands, good speed, good route runner. So he was last on campus in April for the blue white game, had a good visit. Another guy who got eyes on Penn state last weekend, cause he was at Ohio state. So he's kind of in the same boat as Diabell in that regard. And Carmel Newman high down in West Palm. They're on a bye week this week. So Montgomery's getting the chance to make it up the campus, you know, and the, another opportunity for a recruit from Florida to take in a Penn State game day experience. I got the chance to catch up with Montgomery for a little bit this morning. He told me he's been here from the Penn State staff a lot, likes Marcus Hagan. So, good relationship seems to be forming there. And, and that kind of seems to be a trend with some of the 2025 wideouts I've been able to catch up with. There seems to be a pretty overall liking to Hagan. So, I'd say the Nittany Lounge are trending in the right direction recruiting at that position but yeah Montgomery gonna be in town looking forward to see what comes of this visit because he he is interested in what Penn State has to offer you know offensively I, I think he likes their system based on my conversations with him so when it comes to the 2025 visitors for this weekend I would put Montgomery at the top of the list probably is the most important yeah top 20 guy from a state that you know you're not gonna have a lot of access to Penn State games so you don't know if this will be your one mm -hmm. shot to, to really impress and get him back again but he's got, you know, the big three down in Florida have all offered him. He's got Georgia. He's got uh, Michigan, Ohio State. So you want to talk about a, a, a known commodity and a coveted commodity in that 2025 class as a sophomore. This guy's that top 20 prospect mm -hmm. at the position right now. And let's go long distance again because another player making the trip up from the south. And fortunately for Penn State and for all of us, it looks like it's going to be beautiful weather on Saturday. I think in, in the low 70s, uh, it's going to be in the 40s come Halloween. But you're getting some of these guys up from the south for a nice weekend. And Montreux. Walker is among them. This takes us to the defensive side of the football, a linebacker out of Buford, Georgia. Yeah, former Michigan commit who is now back on the market. I got the chance to catch up with him earlier this week, and he was really telling me that had he not committed to Michigan back in, I believe it was February, is when he initially committed to the Wolverines, backed off that commitment in September, early September. And he was saying that if it wasn't going to be Michigan at that point, it was going to be Penn State. And one of the reasons why it wasn't Penn State at that time Really had to do with the fact that his parents did not join him on campus when he visited for a junior day in January. That visit was all, was all him. That is not going to be the case this weekend. I believe his whole family, well, members of his family are making it out with him. So it's going to be an overall visit for Walker and his family. You know, the, Walker's a guy who has been hearing from the Penn State staff with regularity. You know, I, I think they're still sorting through that 2025 linebacker board. You got G, DJ McClary on board already and there are another there are a bunch of other elite linebackers still available for Manny Diaz and company I mean a lot of local guys too in that regard you know Anthony Sockin and Cam Smith down at St. Joe's Prep come to mind right off the bat you got TJ Alford who's in Florida as well as a top 100 backer that Penn State really really likes and would like to get him to campus at some point this season so you kind of have to see where Walker fits in that picture when it's all said and done you know he's a little bit on the shorter side as a linebacker so that's something that needs to be looked at and you know discussed but he is someone that he's on the board for Diaz and company he's been hearing from the staff and he's looking forward to getting back to campus uh walker as you said uh a, a guy who committed to michigan but he has a, a lot of you know he could go in a lot of different directions on saturdays here uh florida uh Tech, florida state illinois louisville lsu miami michigan state ohio state old miss purdue and i'm just working my way and i'm getting tired of reading yeah. these games. you go down and i mean 30 offers right now as a sophomore so look it, it may not be the deepest stocked list that they're going to put together here in 2023 for a game it certainly isn't but when you look at some of those top talents at, at, at the top of this list and where they're coming from 
there's some potential here, man. I, I got to say, coming out, know, coming off of a, a, a disheartening loss against Ohio State, knowing that the Indiana game doesn't generate a lot of uh, buzz annually, and knowing that a noon game on a Saturday isn't going to help your case in a lot of instances. When you were starting to confirm some of these, and I know you've got uh, the confirmations continuing to come at lines247.com, and I saw some of these marquee headliners from far beyond the region, you know, it, it certainly grabbed my attention. Yeah. And like I said, you know, with most of the regional regional uh, regional poll this weekend being towards that Rutgers Ohio State matchup, it seems. And, you know, obviously you got elite guys in the region getting out to other campuses as well, because there are a lot of really good games this weekend that, quite frankly, just trump Penn State, Indiana from an intrigue perspective. I mean, that matchup kind of is what it is. But again, Penn State, this is kind of an opportunity to get some guys from out of the region on campus. You've really prioritized them heavily there. That's what they're going to be able to do. And again, the, the weather definitely helps Penn State in this regard. It's going to be a beautiful weekend for those guys to make it from down south all the way up to Pennsylvania to State College. So I think the staff has done a good job putting this list together. And again, you got to keep in mind that Michigan weekend in November is shaping up to be a big one. Still, regardless of what happened to Ohio State, it is still going to be a very big recruiting weekend for Penn State. So you kind of want to save some bullets when it comes to getting guys to campus. You know, they're very strategic about when they want to host guys. You know, you got a monster matchup like Michigan. That's when the big guns are going to be making it to campus. This weekend, that's not to say the guys who are making it to campus this weekend are not priority targets, but, you know, it's kind of a little bit stepped down in that regard. But there are still some really intriguing guys like Montgomery. I mean, Bell's going to be a name we talk about a bunch when it comes to 2026 quarterback recruiting because the Penn State staff likes him. So there's definitely a couple of guys coming to town who are targets and will be recruited relatively heavily as their respective processes continue. Penn State carries five commits in that 2025 class that ranks seventh nationally. A couple of guys from New Jersey, a couple of guys from Pennsylvania, a running back from Texas. That's the group so far. Uh, let's look at 2024 class before you give us any updated notes as they look to, to fill a few more spots ahead of that December early signing period. We got uh, unfortunately double back over to bad news for Josiah Brown, a four star commit in the receiver class for Penn State, along with Tysier Denmark. Um, and, and then, of course, Stephen Gonzalez, uh, or I'm sorry, Peter Gonzalez. He is now out for this season and certainly would uh, project that he'll be coming to campus in recovery mode. Yeah, you know, he suffered a pretty tough knee injury that required season ending surgery. And unfortunately, I mean, James Franklin was in attendance that night when Brown suffered the injury. So tough break for him. I mean, but Penn, like I've, you know, I've said it on the board plenty of times, you know, Penn State is still on board with him and his entire recovery process, just as it was last year when London Montgomery went down in the preseason at Scranton Prep. You know, Penn State was with him every step of the way through his recovery, you know, making sure that he was on the right track. Montgomery did all of the right things, and Brown is expecting to do all the right things as well. The difference there is Brown is going to be – he's planning on enrolling early. So more of – Penn State's going to be able to have more involvement in his rehab and just huge. overall it's recovery. So huge. That's huge, man. Yeah. That is huge. Because London Montgomery was around – but not in the same capacity that Brown is going to be around as an early enrollee. He's going to be there every single day, and he's going to be able to recover that with the help of the staff. So that's a pretty big deal, and Penn State will really keep a close eye on his progress. Nitty Lions are still high on what Brown is going to be able to accomplish once he makes a full recovery from his knee injury. You know, speed is Josiah Brown's game. That's something that we have talked about a lot throughout his process. Still kind of raw as a pass catcher and route runner as an overall receiver, but his speed and athleticism are such a big pull and what have had him as a highly ranked recruit, excuse me, for so long. But so once he makes a recovery, you know, he's he's got a long road back. 
he does, you know, undergoing a knee surgery, the one that he went, it, it's tough. It's tough business, but he's looking forward again, back on the road to recovery. Penn State's going to be there with him. And I think when it's all said and done, you're still going to have a potential impact wide receiver in Josiah Brown at the next level. Yeah, he's, a, he's like a low, low, low 4-4 guy uh, with the potential yeah. to get faster when he gets to campus. Unfortunately, that aspect of his game gets put to the side right now. You got to get him healthy, get him recovered. But yeah, it's huge. When you think about if, if anyone's you know had a child at home who's who's recovering from some kind of surgery or you've been a child at home recovering from surgery, it, you know, you've got to get to your appointments. It's tough. It, it, uh, mom and dad and, and all that. And, here you are with it. You're on campus. I mean, it's all everyone's going to make sure you're where you need to be getting the treatment you need. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and not to mention the fact that that being a, a, an enrolled student athlete at a, at a university like Penn State versus having to rely on mom and dad's insurance and having to deal with all the insurance aspects of, of recovery and rehabilitation. Yeah. It's a good thing. Uh, it's not a good thing that he's hurt, but it's a good thing that he's only about two and a half months away from being here versus looking at a long path that he's not on campus until May or June. And then, you know, he's really got to hit the ground uh, running and, and and try to make it work from there. So we wish Josiah Brown well. Um, we hope to get him on the podcast before he does make it to campus. He's a guy that I'd love to learn more about, especially now that, that he is recovering from this situation. But when it comes to this 2024 class, Tyler, uh, there's not a lot of loose ends left. And, and a lot of those big names that we've discussed have either – you know, gone on elsewhere or come on board. Uh, and, and so at this point, any new news updates we got to be aware of? I think it's been about a week since you ha we had you on this podcast. You know, nothing necessarily new. I think Penn State is still exploring the same avenues as it was the last time we discussed the 2024 class and, you know, generating some traction on the flip front and with remaining uncommitted prospects. Andrew Dennis, Ernest Willer, Morris Williams are all guys who remain in play for the Nittany Lions. I'm still sticking with that 27 to 29 range. And I keep bringing it up because we keep getting questions about it. You know, how big do we think this class is going to be when it's all said and done? I, I do think they have the ability to get to 27 sitting at 25 right now. I, I still just have a feeling that Penn State has enough juice to generate a flip somewhere along the line before the early signing period. And I should mention wide receivers and other position as well, that Marcus Hayes continues to work the flip front Cam Coleman, is a name that we've talked about a bunch. I'd still consider that, you know, a long shot, the Texas A&M, five-star Texas A&M commit, elite, elite prospect. Penn State's hoping to get him to campus for an official in December, but is it going to happen? We're just kind of kind of have to wait and see. I think it's. I mean, they're. I mean, and let's let's face it. Right now, they're not really doing a lot to to shut, throw open a door for a receiver prospect. I mean, it, it, if 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 a team wants to negatively. Uh, paint Penn State, it's pretty easy. They can point to the, to the stat sheet and say, are you sure you want to go there? So it's it's not from a position of power in that regard right now. You'd hope, as we had said, if the passing game clicked early, it maybe elevates you and gives you a bit of a, a chance to go flip, maybe a five-star talent. I just think it's a tough, a tough sell when that's not part of your case, the tangible evidence of what you're doing with big-time receiver talent with a big-time quarterback on the field thus far this season. Is definitely a tougher sell, and as right as you are, you know these coaches they have the uh, the ability to flip narratives in their favor when it comes to they recruiting. do. They, oh they yeah. Do. <laughs> so you you know you have a situation like the one Penn State is in right now. You go to a top tier wide receiver crew and be like, hey, look, if you were out here with us right now, it'd be a yeah. hell of a lot different of a story. So coaches you're are the missing piece. You exactly. are the missing piece. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I know where you're coming from. There's two <laughs> ways to view it on the recruiting trail. There always are. Yeah, it's a two-way street, and that's why those guys make what they make. So, you know, that's an avenue that Penn State has to explore when it comes to his pitch to wide receivers moving forward. Again, Hagens, I think, is in a good spot right now with his 2024 and 2025 recruiting. you got to keep in mind when it comes to this 2024 recruiting class and Marcus Hagens. I mean, 
he's going after guys he didn't know at this time last year. You know, he's had to form many, many relationships on the fly. It's not like Deion Barnes, who, you know, granted he had to step in to that on-field position. already knew a lot of the guys on the defensive line board because he played such a big part in formulating it when John Scott Jr. The town, hey, Hayden's kind of had to come in and not necessarily start from scratch, but set things up his way, you know, align the board based on what he is looking for out of a wide receiver. So there were a lot of, you know, elements to that early in Hagen's tenure. And he has done a good job of forming relationships with guys and getting Penn State involved with guys who we, quite frankly, just didn't really have a chance at while Taylor Stubblefield was on campus. So I think Hagen deserves a little bit of credit in that regard. But it is a results-driven business, so we're going to have to see what exactly he accomplishes. I, I continue to look at it as let 2025 be the real barometer for Hagen's. I think that's going to be a good indication of what he might be able to accomplish as a recruiter at Penn State. Now, I think right now he's done a really solid job and things are heading in the right direction. But again, we got to see who Penn State gets when it's all said and done. As we referenced earlier, three guys on board in that receiver class for the 2024 group. It's uh, Peter Gonzalez, Tysir Denmark, and then Josiah Brown, who we just covered ground on. They only brought in one freshman scholarship receiver here in 2023 in the speedster Carmelo Taylor, who has worked with the scout team thus far. Uh, of course, bringing in a couple of college veterans uh, in Kent State transfer, Dante Cephas, Florida State transfer, Malik McLean. Both of those players have eligibility available in 2024. So uh, keeping tabs on, on the receiver spot, but acknowledging that this group, uh, I'm looking at the, the group of commits, 25 guys in the class, um, number 14 overall, but it is uh, front loaded a bit. When you look at our ratings at 24-7 sports with offense, the top five guys are on the offensive side of the football. Luke Reynolds, number 29 in the rankings. He's a tight end. Uh, Quentin Martin, number 81 in the rankings. He is a running back. Ethan Grunkemeyer, number 99 in our rankings. Quarterback, and then Liam Andrews. We've got him listed as an offensive tackle for some reason. He, of course, is now a defensive lineman. That tripped me up. But you've got to go four deep before you get to the first defender. And Liam Andrews is the name you get to there. New England defensive lineman. And then the next guy up on that defensive class is John Mitchell, cornerback out of Florida, and just feels like a guy that we haven't discussed enough here, Tyler Calvaruso, because of you know him committing pretty quickly, him committing back in the spring. It's got kind of buried over the course of this recruiting class as more guys have come on board and there's been players from the region. But he is a highly rated component of this class. He continues that successful pursuit of cornerbacks nationally that Terry Smith has been able to accomplish. And you spotlighted him. You've got a, a commit spotlight series going on at Lions 24-7 during the season. He's the latest guy that you put that spotlight on. What stands out about John Mitchell as, as Penn State's you know set to lose uh, some very impressive talent at cornerback coming out of this season? It's kind of ironic that one of Terry Smith's top targets for the entire cycle is a guy who tends to get forgotten about, right? Uh, it's just, it's not one of those things that is typical of not only a top cornerback target, but a top 24 seven cornerback at that. I think just a lot of that has to do with, and you mentioned the regional aspect of everything as well. And guys coming on board after Mitchell, so many coming on board after Mitchell, but he's just a quiet kid, great kid, but a really quiet kid, you know, doesn't really promote himself, not big on social media. So guys like that, you know, you kind of tend to forget about them a little bit, but from our perspective, we're definitely not forgetting about them because they are high level prospects and Mitchell is one of them. He was one of those big risers in that 2024 recruiting class in the latest top 24, seven update. I believe he made almost a hundred spot jump. Luke Reynolds, Ethan Gronkemeyer stole the headlines in that update, but John Mitchell made a pretty big jump as well. And he's having a standout senior season at Mandarin high down in Jacksonville, earning some all district honors as recently as this week. So he's been getting the job done 
And Penn State feels it's getting a cornerback who has the ability to control the side of the field on his own and do a lot of good things in coverage. You're seeing that on his tape down at Mandarin, and Penn State is hoping that translates to the next level. He's got a really good relationship with Terry Smith. He's really excited to get developed by Smith. That was something that popped up, and he's just gotten overall comfort with everything that's been going on at Penn State. You know, sometimes these Florida recruitments, they get a little bit dicey. We saw it last cycle with Conrad Hussey. We've seen it plenty of times before, and we definitely have not seen the last of it. But Mitchell's recruitment has been pretty clean. You know, none of that uh, looking around, entertaining the local schools. He's, he's locked in with the Nittany Lions, and I think Penn State's getting a pretty good one. Last year, they had those two teammates from St. Thomas Aquinas in South Florida in the defensive backfield on board with that recruiting class to the final down to the final stretch. And of course, then Conrad Hussey flips late. But you do get King Mack out of that deal. Top 100 safety. He's already burned his red shirt. This time, another two teammates from down in Florida. But we go up to Jacksonville at Mandarin High School. As you said, it's not just John Mitchell, but Antoine Belgrave Shorter, another defensive back on that roster committed to Penn State. Uh, and and I appreciate the perspective there because I just feel like it's a name that hadn't popped up here. And I just wanted to encourage folks to go check out your Commit Spotlight series over the course of this season as, as you continue to profile more of these Penn State prospects. Um, what should we know about your coverage coming up this weekend? I, I think people are pretty well-versed in what you do during these recruiting weekends. But for those who may not be first home game in a little while here, what are you looking at and, and what are you going to bring us? It, it feels like the UMass was kind of uh, almost like a, a whiff in terms of just yeah. recruiting intrigue. So it feels like it's been all the way back to the whiteout since the last time we had names of this level in a collection like this to discuss. Yeah, definitely more intrigue this week. And the UMass game was a lot of 2026s. And granted, those guys are good players in their regard. But when you got more immediate future names, you know, when 2025 targets are making it to campus, that's always important. So definitely keep an eye out for interviews with those guys. We've got more and more confirmations rolling in on the site. I mean, tomorrow's Friday, too. You know, we talk a lot about Saturday and how important Saturday is. But Friday is just as important because the Penn State staff going to be out on the road. So we're going to have some intel on that as well. So I definitely encourage our listeners to check out what we have coming. All right, great stuff from Tyler Calvaruso. As always, be sure to check out his content, VISP subscription. Right now available 30% off for an entire year or $1 for one month. Take the test drive. You will not regret it. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks, man. Great stuff from the entire team here at Lions 24-7 on this episode of the podcast before Tyler Calvaruso, Mark Brennan, and Daniel Gallon breaking down the matchup. We will be back in Beaver Stadium Early on Saturday morning, we will keep keeping close tabs on pregame warmups and some of those more intriguing personnel storylines as we get closer to kickoff. Follow the coverage at lines247.com. We're back with our next podcast. When that game goes final, Daniel and I will sit down, gather our thoughts on Penn State versus Indiana, and bring them to you here on the podcast like we always do. That'll come your way late afternoon, early evening on Saturday with the new kickoff. For now, stepping aside, thank you for watching, listening, however you get this podcast, however you find it. Keep doing it, please, uh, and we'll talk to you real soon. Uh, for now, I'm Tyler Downey, stepping aside. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.